Welcome back to What You'll Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we're doing a bit of a very popular book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, a counterintuitive approach to living a good life by Mark Bad Boy Manson. Mate, we um, are an explicitly rated podcast. There's often a few fucks get sli- slipped in there. Uh, just a quick warning, there's going to be a lot of fucks in yeah, this. Yeah, it's going to be this a lot of fucks. This book is just littered with fucks. Um, so, yeah. So, we've got every reason to say as many fucks as we <laughs> yeah, want this time. Exactly. Sometimes so. we just go crass and we yeah. say fuck way too many times, but this yeah. time we can do it. So, yeah, just a, a warning if uh, you're offended by fucks, this is not the episode for you yeah, or the, yeah. not the book for you either. <laughs> Mate, what is giving a fuck? Basically, he says that... Uh, he, his quote here, the key to a good life is not giving a fuck about more, it's giving a fuck about less, giving a fuck about only what is true and immediate and important. So mm. he says we've got all these messages, everyone wants us to give a fuck about their thing. Mm. For us to have a good life is to give a fuck about less and only choose what we give fucks about. Mm. So when you see this on the bookshelf, it might look like it's all about giving a fuck about nothing, walking around, just not mm. giving a shit about anyone or any anything or anything like that. But it's it's kind of a subtle way of getting into uh, of selling the idea of priorita- prioritization. That's what the book's all about. Yes. So it's along the lines of you know the one thing and essentialism and and kind of saying no to the things that don't really matter. Yes, very much so, man. He, he's saying that it's not about giving no fucks whatsoever. Um, you know, you might think not giving a fuck means don't give a fuck about anything. It's just choosing what to give a fuck about and then cutting away everything else. Absolutely. So the book kicks off into the idea of what the whole self-improvement culture in the world is is like right now. Yeah, he says that success and self-improvement often occur together, uh, but it's more correlation than causation. It's not that everyone who follows this self-improvement stuff becomes successful. So self-improvement today is is... Always, it's really focused on these unrealistic expectations. You know, it's all about being happier or healthier and being better than the rest. So it's all about the things you don't have. And, it, and he even says it's like, you know, this expectation that you got to go out there and crap out a 12 carat nugget of gold before breakfast each morning while kissing your selfie ready spouse and two and a half kids goodbye. So <laughs> That's it, mate. You're shitting out gold nuggets. You're not going to be shitting it. Your shit's brown. <laughs> it stinks, mate. Yeah. They want us to be smarter, faster, richer, sexier, more popular, more productive, more envied, more admired. There's just everything that, you know, we have to be the best at everything. Mm. Uh, And that's where he says that, you know, the traditional self-improvement path goes wrong. Yeah, that's right. So when you stop and really think about it, this conventional life advice, all about the positive and happy, luffy, fluffy bullshit we hear all the time is fixated on what you lack, right? Yeah, exactly, man. So you think, oh, I want to become rich. It's actually focused on not having enough money. Mm -hmm. I want to have better relationships. It's a focus on not having a a porn star 10 out of 10 wife. Uh, Mm -hmm. So he's saying that it's focused on what we lack uh, and that's why he says it's pretty much a bad way. You're always thinking about what you don't have rather than appreciating what you already do have. Mm, So at the end of the day, you're walking around as if you're, you're lacking. But he says the smallest dog always barks the loudest, and that's a saying you pull from Texas. Mate, it's a Texas saying, uh, as you just said, that the smallest dog barks the loudest. So, you know, he says that the richest woman doesn't have to go around and tell everyone how rich she is, or the best-looking bloke doesn't go around and tell everyone how good-looking he is. So it's not like the big dog doesn't need to bark. Everyone knows he's big, whereas a small dog needs to go out and tell everyone how big he is by barking loudly. So it's a guy who's, uh, you know trying to hustle his way to the top, who isn't making any money, who has to go and show everyone on Facebook how much money he's making. He's yes. just ran in the cash. 
Yes, I think you tied it in. in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think you tied that one in pretty well. So it's your so it's yeah, it's almost it's like your person you know, who posts in their Instagram profile, entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly, mate. I'm the so true cool. entrepreneur doesn't need to do that, do they? Yeah, that's it. So and then he talks about next about the feedback loop from hell and feedback loop from hell. And I'd love for you to tie this back in as well, mate. <laughs> well, it's just the next section um, that he says that you know sometimes we want something our, our boss does that's just minuscule, minute, and we get angry about it. And then we realize that we're angry about this small, insignificant thing. And then we get angry that we got angry at such a small, insignificant thing. Mm. And then we're like, why the fuck are we angry? We get more angry. So, it's just saying this feedback loop from hell that just this downward negative spiral. Absolutely. So, when we're always expecting and wanting a really positive experience in reality, it actually ends up being a negative experience. And paradoxically, the acceptance of a negative experience in itself is a positive experience. Yeah. So, so realizing the world's cooked in yeah, some ways. Don't expect good. everything to be perfect. He says that anything worthwhile is actually won through surmounting a negative experience. So, it's like that battle. When you win the battle against a negative, it becomes positive. You can't just expect everything to be positive. That's right, man. So now we're going to get cracked into the subtlety. So the sub- what is the subtle art of not giving a fuck? That's it, man. Subtlety number one, not giving a fuck doesn't mean being indifferent. It means being comfortable with being different. Mm, absolutely. So he's got a little, he talks about himself in third person here and he says, <laughs> damn, watch out, Mark Manson, just don't give a fuck. You know, we don't mean that Mark Manson doesn't care about anything. On the contrary, we mean that Mark Manson doesn't care about adversity in the face of his goal. So he's just talking himself up <laughs> in third person. <laughs> Basically, when you don't give a fuck and you're going for your goals, you know, you don't give a fuck about all the other things. You're happy to punch someone in the face if that is required. Yeah, maybe not that exact example, but metaphorically punch, yeah. So it's yeah. just saying that, you know, you're not giving a fuck about nothing. It's not just being purely indifferent to everything in the world. But it's realizing that you don't have to give a fuck about the pain and struggle. You're willing to go through that stuff in order to get to what you do give a fuck about. Absolutely. Number Subtly number two, to not give a fuck about adversity, you must first give a fuck about something more important than adversity. That's it, man. So we need to find that something more important that we do give a fuck about. And once we found that something that we give that's fuck worthy, we can stop giving a fuck about anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And then subtlety number three, whether you realize it or not, you are always choosing what to give a fuck about. That's it, man. So you can choose to give a fuck about getting a new TV or you can choose to give a fuck about your co-workers gossiping or you can choose to give a fuck about something more worthwhile. Mm. He says that finding um, something important and meaningful in your life is perhaps the most productive use of your time and energy. Find that one thing, give a fuck about it and then give no fucks about anything else. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, easier easy said than done, man. It's, you know... It's tough finding out what the one thing is, what thing you get to prioritize. Yeah. Once you know what it is, it's maybe it's maybe it's easier to deprioritize all the other shit that doesn't matter. Yeah. And just not give fucks about it. Yeah, that's it. So chapter two is happiness is a problem. So he talks about how uh, you know we don't want to have suffering. We don't have want to have pain. But he says like pain and suffering, they're actually biological necessities. They're useful in that. Us experiencing suffering or pain is actually the biggest driver of action. So when we feel pain, we realize we don't want to do that again and we move away from that. That's right. And then on the flip side of that, he says happiness comes from solving problems. Mm. And the key word here is solving. Mm. So I really like this. So if you're avoiding your problems or you feel like you don't have any problems, then you're going to make yourself really miserable. There's no kind of route to being happy. Exactly, man. He says that you know the pain and the suffering of the problem is what drives us towards the solving which in turn leads to the happiness yeah so there's always problems 
And, you know, the higher you go up, the higher level of your problems. It's not like you solve one problem and you're done. There's always going to be a problem to solve. Hmm. But the process of solving that problem is what leads to happiness. Yeah. So, when you set your priority and you, got, you set your big goals or whatever they might be, the journey toward those goals is what actually gives you the happiness. Exactly, man. There's a few issues that people face along the way. The first issue is denial. So, people deny that there are any problems in the first place. And then the second um, issue is a victim mentality. So, when people see a problem, they mm. think, oh, no, I'm the victim of this problem rather than realizing it's an opportunity to solve it on the way to happiness. So, a good example here would be like the law of attraction type of people. Like I went to a meetup in Melbourne. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it, it's in this room, there was all these people visualizing Lamborghinis and all that. So, they're <laughs> all in this positive world and not looking at the negative and the negative reality was they're all as poor as shit. Poor as hell. <laughs> so they denied it existed, so they couldn't really go anywhere from that. So all these law of attraction types really would be, um, you know, never get anywhere closer to the Lamborghini than in their dreams. <laughs> and also, same the the victim mentality, which doesn't really tie into that story much. Well, but, they just always, they're always blaming other people or the environment or the government, or they're always blaming someone else, and they're the victim rather mm-hmm. than taking responsibility. Exactly. Thanks for that, mate. <laughs> You're on the right track, mate. Mate, Jeez. another thing uh, I like, he says that emotions are overrated. I just like this one small bit he talked about that, you know, it, some people say that they're just driven by emotions. But he says that uh, if you make all your decisions based on uh, emotions, you're essentially either a three year old dog or uh, a three year old kid or a dog. And he says that, you know what else three year old kids and dogs do? They shit on the carpet. <laughs> so you can't be just run by your emotions. You need to uh, take responsibility for yourself rather than just, uh, I punched a hole in the wall because I got so angry. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a very bad way to live, live your life. Yeah. You've got to be at least objective. Yeah, exactly, man. Man, he says you've got to choose your struggle. Uh, he he talks about his story, how he wants to be a rock star, but he just all the reason he was being a rock star, he was focused on this image uh, of what was going to appear at the summit. Whereas he was saying that the most important part is actually the climb itself. So it's not just all about the summit, it's about the climb. Yeah, this is definitely my favorite part of the book or the favorite takeaway. It's like you're in your life, you're going to be struggling no matter what you do. It's going to be, you're going to have some tough things no matter what. So you might as well make those tough things mm. on the way to something bigger and something good in your life. So if you don't have any goals, you're going to have tough shit going on. You better, you better have goals and then your tough shit is in the direction of something positive in the world. Exactly, man. He says that you can't just think that you're going to, climb, you're going to solve one pro- small problem and be happy and you can stop climbing. He says you're always climbing. It's always this upward spiral. And if you think you can stop climbing at some point, you're missing the point. The joy actually comes from the climb, which hmm. is that you know solving the problems along the way. Yeah. Good Chapter three, man. mate. You are not special. Yeah, so unfortunately... And that's you, a broad you, everyone. No one's special. Oh, thanks, man. I was, I was not, worried not for you. a second there. <laughs> <laughs> Just cop that. But the first, the first reason is, so people think that I'm awesome and the rest of you suck, so I deserve special treatment. Yeah. Or the exact other way is they think that I suck and the rest of you are awesome, so I deserve special treatment. Mm. So both of these scenarios leads to this entitlement culture. Everyone, or not everyone, but you know, someone thinks they're entitled to something. They think they're special, so they think they should get things their way. But really, you're not special. Everyone's average. Exactly. So yeah, if you if you think that everyone else is so good and you're a piece of shit, you end up being a victim. Mm. And then, yeah, the other one, you just think you're the top dog going around when you're not, you're yeah. a piece of shit. <laughs> exactly, man. Mm. man. That was about it for me from that chapter. Yeah, so people who become great at something become great because they understand they're not that great. They're just average and they could be so much better. 
Yeah, that makes sense, I think. Does it make sense to you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> mate, you were saying earlier that before this you loved that and I was the one who said it doesn't make sense. No, I think it makes sense. I think that uh, for you to get better at something, you need to admit that you're not good enough at it already in order to uh, take action to The word I'd say is perfect rather than you're better. Not perfect. Yeah. Like, I think LeBron James would say, understand he's good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But he would also understand he's not perfect, so there's room for improvement. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd agree with that as well. I think you're both right. You and Mark Manson, both right. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Chapter four, the value of suffering. We've mm. talked about it a little bit already. But, you know, and we've talked about it in other books previously, either uh, Buddhist principles or um, uh, Stoic philosophy, that suffering is inevitable, suffering is unavoidable. So, what he says, instead of asking, how do I stop suffering? If you know it's inevitable, you need to realize, why am I suffering? What is the purpose for my suffering? And then choosing that purpose that's worth suffering for. Yeah. Yeah. I was a bit early on this one, but yeah, it's, it is the, my favorite part of the book. So, you're going to suffer anyway. Make it worthwhile. You know, you're gonna you're gonna go through shit in your 80 years of life. You might as well go through shit toward and yeah. do some, and do some good shit in your time. Mate, you didn't go early. The book's just repetitive. Okay, um, yeah. is it? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, mate. <laughs> mate, he talks about the self awareness onion, and uh, I like the analogy. He says that just like an onion, you know, there's multiple layers, and just like an onion, the more layers deep you go, the more likely you are to start crying at inappropriate times. Yes. Yeah, so the. <laughs> The first layer of this onion of emotions is simply understanding your emotions, right? So Yeah. So normally uh, the stereotype for blokes is, you know, you're sitting there in a hump angry and uh, and a woman says to you, what's wrong? And you say, oh, nothing's wrong. So mm. that's like being completely uh, unaware, whereas the first layer is to actually realize that you do have an emotion there. Yeah, just understanding you're angry. So there's a little bit of objectivity there. Yeah. The second layer is the ability to ask why we feel certain emotions. Yeah, that's it. That's a, a slightly. So the first level is understanding your emotion. The next layer is asking why. And then the third layer, deeper, is realizing your personal values. Mm. And so he says that why do you consider what's happened to be a success or a failure? Or why are you choosing to measure yourself in that way? Or why are you judging yourself by everyone around you? So yeah. that's the. The deeper layer. Mm, so we'll go with it. We'll keep this analogy, mate, and I'll throw you under the bus for the second layer. So the <laughs> so the woman's angry at the man for being yeah. angry, and the second layer being ability to ask why he feels certain emotions. So why is he angry, mate? So he might be angry that his uh, his brother didn't text him that day, yeah. and that's why he's angry. And then the third is in the context of personal values. Yeah. So his personal values is that uh, he wants to be close with his brother. Okay, so that's his value. His value is that he wants to be close with his brother. Mm. Now, the issue here is that he's probably using the... He might have, he's got the right value, but he's got the wrong metric to measure that value. So, his mm. metric to measure, am I close with my brother, is texting him every single day. Yeah. Whereas that might not be the best metric to use. Uh, and maybe his brother was busy that day. He had a lot on. Just because he didn't text him doesn't mean that he's uh, gone against his value and that they're not close anymore. Hmm. So a better metric might be, you know, the number of times you meet up for a face-to-face dinner or the number of times you go away on a, a week-long trip together or something hmm. rather than texting every day. Hmm, absolutely. So the person who's who understands that third layer of understanding really while they're ag- angry, they're living a completely different life on another planet than the person just sitting there you know, mm. the first layer, just understanding, oh, I'm fucking angry. Exactly, man. Pissed off. And so, there's sort of the two keys to it. One is your value. So, you've got to choose your value. So, you've got to assess what your current values are and what your current, what your future values should be. 
And then the next is from each of those values, what metric do you use to measure it? And is the metric you're using the best way to measure it or is it just the easiest way to measure it? Mm, so you could understand where, where you're going and what and, and if you're making progress. Which is big. Mate. mate, he's got a couple of shitty values here. Yeah. These are things you don't want. So some shitty values is things like pleasure, material success, always being right and just staying positive. That's it, man. Obviously, you can't always be positive. There's going to be negative time. So if your value is to always stay positive, you're setting yourself up for failure. Mm. And the same as always being right. That's not a good value to have because sometimes it's good to be wrong so you can learn. Mm. And if you're all about pleasure, you're just going around having cocaine and smoking cigs all day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're all about material success, we've covered a few times yeah, this okay. idea of the hedonic treadmill. Yeah. So it's a never-ending treadmill where you're mm. always just going for more, 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 and you mm. never really get, get sated and you're, you're on a never-ending treadmill of, of shit. I love it, mate. So he says that these values, it's all about prioritization. There's so many values that we could choose. It's about prioritizing the ones that, that we uh, that we should choose. Did I say should? I meant could. I yeah. Could and should. Yeah. yeah. We'll bring the fucks back in. So <laughs> <laughs> we haven't said a fuck in a while. Yeah. So when we essentially give a fuck about something, um, we're really prioritizing the yes. things we want to give a fuck about. That's it, man. He says in a nutshell, what he views as self-improvement is just prioritizing and choosing what to give a fuck about. That's his true self-improvement. Hmm. Mate, so that, that's the first four chapters. The next five chapters uh, probably could be a one chapter with five subparts. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like the five things that he says now should be like the values that we should be choosing, yeah. Mm, we'll get into our thoughts on the book at the very end, but I feel like <laughs> the first bit was the part of the, the from the original blog post that went viral. Yeah. And the next chapters were the publisher saying, come Gosh, on, Mark, you need, <laughs> you, need a, you need a 200 page book, mate. <laughs> Give us another 100 pages. So he just like fleshed out stuff. I agree. There's a little bit of rambling, a bit of ranting. But, mate, yeah. so one, chapter five, you're always choosing, and, in, and it's all about this um, taking responsibility. Mm, and this is a very popular concept, a very good concept from a lot of books. It's like this idea of, you know, Jocko Willink is another guy. We haven't reviewed his books yet, but extreme ownership. If there's shit going down in the world, mm. if you're able to, take responsibility and take ownership then you've actually got some power over the situation yes. you know the other other side if you're a victim you got no power over anything and you end up being an idiot very true man also sort of it came up in you know seven habits and 12 rules for life that you know um, we can't control what happens but we can control how we react so it's that, that's all we can take responsibility for. You can't take responsibility for everything that happens in the world, but you can take responsibility for how you interpret it and how you respond to it. Mm. So that's what we've got to take responsibility for. That's what we've got to choose. We've got to choose our response and we've got to choose how we interpret it. Yeah, in that circle of influence versus circle of concern. Yeah. Oh, you're mate, better off just worrying about the things shit. you can actually influence. You know, the, the chick throwing the kid off the, the bridge in the Bahamas. <laughs> It doesn't really what affect you. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if that's happening, which is a lot of the news just searches for this bad stuff around yes. the world, you know, it is sad and it can get you down. You might as well just not worry about that stuff. It <laughs> don't concern you. That's it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I liked it. Um, mate, the, so the next, uh, the next chapter, it says, <laughs> you are wrong about everything, mm. but so am I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you've got to be careful what you believe uh, and that, you know, Essentially, he, he tells a story of, you know, right now, looking back to past Mark, he realized he made some bad choices based on his 
poor beliefs, but mm. he also got to realize that future Mark is going to look back at present Mark who thinks he's got the best values possible and realize that maybe they weren't so good. Yeah, that's right. And there's this, he brings in this idea of false memories and it's yeah. like the game Chinese Whispers. I don't know if around the world they call it Chinese Whispers mate, as thought, well. That's what I was, mate, he calls it telephone. And I thought maybe, telephone game. maybe Chinese Whispers is, is um, faux pas, mate. Maybe it's a racist thing now. I don't oh. know. I don't know. I hope not. It's, Maybe a, there's it's a funny there. game. Anyway, <laughs> it's this idea. So if you go around a circle, the first person you tell uh, is you know one word, and then by the time it gets around the other ten, it's something completely different. Yeah. And he's it got an example. It's good, like grade four, grade five game. It's good fun. <clears throat> yeah, I absolutely loved it. I still love playing it. It's good. But yeah, he's got Mate, this. Were you uh, quick side note? Were you one of those guys who uh, intentionally fucked it up? <laughs> There's definitely guys who would definitely just make it oh, something yeah. really different. Yeah. Oh, 100%, that was you. man. Well, we were just talking before this podcast of I remember seeing a dog having sex with another dog and 10 years – and I swear to God, my memory right now is the dogs were having sex bum to bum, back to back, and they stayed there for an hour. I don't know if that's – Why were you watching for so long? <laughs> no, I went and had a coffee and I came back and they were still sitting there. Mate, but, I thought dogs rooted doggy style. I, thought that, I assume that's where oh, it comes no. from. It could be a false memory. Yeah. But it's this idea that your brain, as you retell and retell a story over time, yeah. the memory gets distorted. Yes. You know, and then one day you have 10 beers and you retell the story and then the next day it's a drunken revised edition of this memory. <laughs> the story's a little bit different. And by yeah. the time it comes to the end, it's a completely different memory. <laughs> exactly. And it's false. Yeah. So you're absolutely wrong, like he says in the chapter. Yeah. <laughs> and so just to, to tie it back and uh, obviously what he's saying is... <laughs> Is that you know what it, our beliefs are always wrong? We've got all, all of us have got our own subjective um, view of reality, and we're pretty much all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. He's got three questions to help you. So you can ask yourself: Is it possible if I'm wrong? And number two: If I'm wrong, what would it mean? And number three: Which causes a bigger problem: being right or being wrong? Yeah, that's it, man. I think, and the answer to one is almost always yes. Like it is possible that you're wrong. Like having so much certainty is definitely a bad thing. You need to realize that maybe you, you could be wrong. Uncertainty, yeah. Embracing this uncertainty is a bit harder and takes a bit more more balls and being less less of a little bitch. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it's going to give you more value. Definitely. Chapter seven, mate. Failure is the way forward. Mm. Probably not anything um, new. Yep. So you've chosen this this pain, what you're going to suffer about in your life and the way forward is keeping on failing, which takes pain, but over time you are going to grow and, and do better, really. Yeah. Mate, he says the example of, say, you know, a, a young child trying to learn to walk. The first time they get up, they stand up and they fall straight down. So mm. they've essentially failed at walking. The baby doesn't ever think, oh, walking is not for me. I'm not good at it. I'm not going to try. Mm. Um, failure is part of the journey towards success because they'll start to learn what works and what doesn't work and through failure, move forward towards actually walking. Yeah, that's it. Man, the, other, from the only thing I liked um, from this chapter was the do something principle. He says that uh, action is not only an effect of motivation, it's actually also a cause of it. So normally we think we get this emotional inspiration, which leads to a motivation, which then leads to action. But what he says, it's more of a uh, essentially a cycle in that doing action and feeling good leads to more emotional inspiration and in turn more motivation, in turn more action, this positive uh, positive feedback loop. Yeah, I like that. So just in action, you know, yeah. if you're worried about 
not being motivated, maybe start doing something exactly. and then motivation will be a, derived from that. Exactly, man. Because it's like these three things, inspiration, motivation, action, all loop around. If you think oh, I've got no motivation, rather than starting there, start with action and action then will loop back around. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Positive feedback loop. Yeah. Chapter eight was the importance of saying no. We just got a little cheeky papa. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's, he says there is increased opportunities and upside in rejecting alternatives and distractions in favor of what truly matters. Yeah, nice. So when you're rejecting stuff, it might seem like you're rejecting opportunities, but in reality, you are taking in more opportunities. So it's another one of those dichotomies that, that kind of contradict each other, but yeah. are a related and opposites. Yeah, definitely, man. Mate, you got to say no to the things you don't give a fuck about in order to then have more options of what to give a fuck about. Mm. Yeah. And mate, finally, chapter nine. <laughs> mate, dot, 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 dot. And it's huge mm. in stoicism. The understanding impermanence really yeah. is not about death. It's more about living. And yes. we used to, do you still have that app, Days of Life? Yeah, it hasn't been giving me notifications. I might have to flick it back on. Yeah. But yeah. I think I've, I've got about 20 and a half thousand days of life left or something. Mate, you got me there. by a, a fair margin there. <laughs> but I understand that, yeah, the days left, you got limited days left. You're really yeah, going to prioritize exactly. says that we, we generally, um, most, you know, day to day, we pretty much forget that we're going to die. And it's not until someone does die uh, that it brings home that we are going to die at some mm-hmm. point. Whereas he's saying that we should be constantly thinking about it uh, as a way to live better, act better throughout our life. Mm. So that's it. Have you got any any other, any other juice? No, no, that's that's enough uh, enough juice from that one, mate. Yep. So overall, man, it's a uh, it's a super popular book. I think it's it's you know uh, 2016. I think it was first printed, uh, and it seems to have got into the top ten and stayed there ever since. Uh, personally, I didn't find there was much new content. And I didn't find that it was extremely well written either in terms of the uh, reading experience. Yeah, it's really the most interesting part of the book for me was how it's been number one for so long. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I can understand. Uh, I was trying to think, okay, is it because we've read, you know, 100 books that we've heard it all before and there's really nothing new? Is it for someone, if it's their very first book, maybe they do learn some really cool shit and maybe because it is such a no-nonsense Cheeky. conversational straight to the point with a lot of fucks in there mm. that uh, might be an easy way to start reading. Man, I think a big part is it's a big fluoro orange cover. There's a big fuck in the middle of the cover mm. as well. So I think that once it got into the top 10 and once it got onto the bookshelves, everyone looked at it and was like, oh, this book with a big fuck and a big orange cover, that sounds really cool and they buy it and it, which bumps it up the order again. So I think there's definitely a, uh, a fair bit of... We were saying earlier, and the, and the bit of the purple cow factor, Definitely. it's probably easy to sneeze and spread the idea because it's got a fuck in there, which is a bit different. And, and even, um, you know, you're sitting on the train, fluoro orange cover and a big fuck on the front, someone can just see attention. it. It's a, yeah. Yeah. So we've been debilitating off behind the scenes about how it got got up there. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, so overall, I'm, I'm going to uh, say it's about a five out of 10 for me just because there wasn't, wasn't a whole lot of new stuff. Uh, and the stuff that was there was was uh, solid stuff, but a lot of fluff. Mm, the book got very famous from a blog post, which I assume is about two thousand words, which yeah. is probably a, an incredible two thousand words. Yeah, went to a publisher who said, "Blow this balloon <laughs> up into you know hundred thousand words." And yeah. so there's ninety eight thousand words of crap in there for for a bit of gold. So go to the go to the blog post. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, mate. 
Is that a lot? Don't is that a, a lot of... I don't give a fuck about this book. 